I want to ask you about who your favorite superheroes are. I'm coming down here because I've listened to too much loud music to my life and my hearing is bad and I've tried this up there and I just can't hear very well. So um, I, just, I want to be able to hear you. So who are some of your memorable favorite superheroes? Batman, Batman okay. Superman. Superman. <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man. We should start singing the theme songs of these shows. Yes. I'm sorry, say it again. What is it? Island Man, all right. Spider-Man, oh, yeah, okay. Steven Okay, all right. There you go. Okay. Is he the one with uh, faster than a speeding bullet and locomotive? Who else? Hercules. Hercules, all right. Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger, yeah, all right. The Silver Bullets. Pardon me? St. Paul, okay, we're getting spiritual now, so that's good. All right. <clears throat> Somebody else say one? Okay, John Wesley. All right. I'm trying to figure out what their superpowers are. Um, yeah, that's it, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. It is intriguing to me. Someone said after first service, no one mentioned any female super superheroes. He did? Okay. Wonder Woman, okay. He just did, was embarrassed to say it, okay. I understand. That's what the person at other service said to me too. Um, we, have, we have all of these superheroes and there's something about, you know, they have these special things that they do. They have, you know, Batman has his utility belt and the Batmobile and the, it goes in the Batcave with the Batcopter and, you know, all of that. And Superman is strong and x-ray vision and uh, Spider-Man, you know, is his webs. He can climb all over the place. Uh, we, we have all of these, these, they have all of these, uh, these powers, and, and, but the story is basically the same. Evil's in the world, and they have the power to do something about it. They, they come racing in when humanity is just about lost, when Metropolis is going under, and they save the day using their superpowers. Now, there are people who are uncomfortable with the, the whole dynamic of what we do as superheroes. And, of course, if you've noticed, they're making a real comeback as uh, more and more movies are being done lately of, you know, Iron Man. What is it, Iron Man 26 or something? I don't know exactly. But, you know, and another, another round of Superman and another Batman movie. And, uh, you know, all, they're coming back and because we like those stories. And we like the fact that there is someone who has this power to, to bring rescue from evil. And they do it with these powers and with, with their strength and with their ability to crush those who are evil in the world. Now, some people are uncomfortable with that because they say that's making us more violent as a society. But I suspect it's probably the other way around. I think it's simply a mirror of how we think. And what we would like to see happen. And how we believe evil is conquered in this world. And if that's true, that it is a reflection of how we view the remedy to evil and to all of the the things that go on in this world, then something in our thinking is going to be shaken when we come to Galatians 5 and And Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit, 
for people who are living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, embraced by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And somehow, gentleness plays a role in changing the world through the Spirit in a way that is difficult for us to grasp. It's outside of how we typically think. Now, part of the issue we have is defining gentleness. A synonym that Jesus uses is meekness. Third beatitude, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle. To be gentle uh, is to be careful, to be thoughtful. To, to be gentle is, is, to, is to treat people with dignity and respect and kindness and compassion. It is thinking more about others than about ourselves as we see throughout all of the fruit of the Spirit. It always come back, comes back to some form of self-giving. Sometimes we understand words by thinking about what they're not. This is not apathy. This is not um, a, a lack of, of strength necessarily. It, it is not being so fragile that you can't exist. It is not giving in all the time. I think of it as how you treat a newborn baby when you hold them in your arms. If you have weak arms, you don't want to be holding a baby because you cannot hold them correctly. It's people with strong arms that can gently hold a baby in a way that they feel secure. And there is this underlying sense of strength in gentleness. I would argue that the most gentle people are the strongest people. Now, that's contrary to how we think in our world because we have come to the conclusion that you get things done, you conquer evil, you you work things out by harshness. In all of its forms, harshness, power, might, aggressiveness. We see that in our world all the time. People are continually, even just in the last month or so, people are solving problems with violence. Whether it's taking a mall in order to, to promote their religion or to get vengeance, or it is taking a gun into an airport because someone made me feel bad, because someone hurt me. I mean, every day we see this happening. And somehow we believe that the way to get back, the way to feel better about ourselves, the way to do something in the world is by being harsh and to exert power and might and strength. And so the psalmist uh, or the proverb says that um, a gentle word turns away wrath. And our culture's response to that is, well, that may well be, but it also makes you look like a chump. Because you're going to get run over if you're gentle. 
You're not going to get anything accomplished if you're gentle. People are just going to take advantage of you. People are just going to hurt you. People are just going to crush you. You're not going to get anything accomplished by being gentle. And the truth of the matter is being gentle can be painful. Probably are going to get hurt. That's one of the reasons why when we thought about gentleness, the peach was the first fruit that came to my mind. Because this is a gentle fruit. They bruise easily. They're soft. You don't want to drop a peach on the floor. You're going to know you dropped it on the floor. You can drop a banana on the floor. You can probably drop an apple on the floor, but not a peach. And to be gentle is to invite difficulties. It's it's to invite. the, The reality is it's going to mean pain for us. It's going to be difficult for us. Because we live in a world that believes there are other ways to accomplish things. And yet the world is at the same time crying out for something different, something new, something better. There was an article in Wired magazine a few months ago that that talked about the pain going on in the world. And Wired magazine is a tech magazine for those of you who aren't aware. And uh, this article was, was, they were doing interviews with some of the big technology companies, Google, Yahoo, Facebook... And, and talking about the things that they are encountering with people as they do their business in culture and society. And, and they're trying to figure out how they can be a more positive presence, both in their company and in the world. And, and there's a fascinating, in the article, it said, when you sit down with people at Facebook and they review these reports, when you see all the breakups, all the embarrassing photos, the tiffs between mothers and daughters, it's hard not to feel sad. And awed at the amount of confusion and hurt. And he said over a million of these disputes happen every week on Facebook. A million. People fighting for their rights. Lashing out at one another. Hurting each other. But the most fascinating part of this article was the last sentence that said, If you had a God's eye view of all of this, wouldn't you want to handle it with gentle hands? There's a cry for gentleness. We just don't know how to do it. Paul says, people who are filled with the Spirit know how to do it. People who are walking in the Spirit exude gentleness in this world of harshness, pain, In this world that declares, you get what you want, you get to the top, you create the kind of environment that you're looking for through might and power and being aggressive. Now, we, somehow in the midst of this, we have to come to the grips of understanding that the kingdom of God, once again, sees things in an upside, with an upside-down perspective from how the rest of the world does. When we see this over and over again, that the kingdom of God does things differently. And so Paul writes to the Galatians just a few verses after he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, if somebody in your fellowship sins, then you should restore them. Those of you who are spiritually mature, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And he's saying, if you're spiritually mature, you will act in a spirit of gentleness. It's one of the signs of spiritual maturity, gentleness. 
Proverbs says, a gentle word, a gentle tongue can break a bone. And Paul writes to Timothy about the people who are giving him trouble. And he says, what you need to do is to speak to them in a spirit of gentleness so that they will be led to the knowledge of Christ. And Peter says, when people look at your life and they're opposing you and they're against you, respond in a spirit of gentleness. So they see your clear conscience and something about your gentle lifestyle will help them to see Jesus in you. Last year, our missions convention, Ben Hegeman brought some students from his Islamic studies class and they came and posed as, as Muslims and each of them in, our, in a small group and we had these scenarios that we were working through about how to talk to them about Christ. And it was very informative, but one of the things that came, I came away from that hearing from Ben and just watching the group interact was that the most powerful means Christians have for influencing Muslims for Christ is this spirit of gentleness and kindness and compassion. It's not in arguing vehemently that they are wrong and we are right. It's letting them see something different in our lives. They want to argue. They want us to fight with them because they understand that perspective. But Christ calls us to a different perspective. But it's not just about how we talk to people outside of the church. It's about us in our lives, in our homes, where we work, in our dorms and in classes. We need gentleness in those places because we're always trying to to be in control. We're always trying to exert power. It's the natural human perspective. And our natural inclination is to be harsh. That's our default. We're protecting ourselves. We're keeping ourselves from being hurt. And so we lash out. And we go after people. But it's also a need in the church. We might think, well, it's easy in the church to be gentle because we're all on the same page. Haven't been around the church very long, right? I suspect one of the reasons we wrestle with gentleness in the church is because we are dealing with eternal things. And they, we are passionate about eternal things. We, we are talking about stuff that, that matters more than anything else. And, and, we, and in that passion, we want people to embrace things the way we embrace them and to see things the way we see them. Because after all, we are right. And anyone who disagrees with us must not be right. And so we have to convince them to be right. And in our passion and in our desire for people to see things the way we do, we can become very harsh with each other. And sometimes it's in our actions, often it's in our words. What we say, what we write, how we communicate with each other. The words, the tone of voice, the look in our eyes. We all learned, uh, most of us, I I would suspect, on the playground, learned sort of the the basic rule of thumb about words. And it was this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
It's one of the great lies that we will ever encounter. Because the reality is, sticks and stones hurt a lot less than biting words. A bruise will heal. Some of the things that people say to us stick with us all of our life. Someone read something recently where they said, we use verbal saws to remove spiritual slivers. Isn't that an interesting metaphor? We use verbal saws to remove spiritual slivers. Great Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones, probably 50, 60 years ago, told about uh, supporting another man in his ministry until the day came where because of financial issues, he was unable to continue that support. And, And he wrote to the man and told him, and the man's response was to write an article that he publicized condemning E. Stanley Jones. Well, as you can imagine, E. Stanley Jones was pretty upset about that. He didn't feel like it was fair. He didn't think it was right. And this man who wrote, you know, dozens and dozens of books knew how to put into print words that would get back at this man. And he did. And he wrote this vitriolic letter to him, ripping him to shreds. Before he sent it, he handed it to some friends and said, take a look at this and tell me what you think. It's one of the advantages to writing with a pen and paper instead of an email. You have a few moments to think about it before you hit the send button. One of those letters came back and it had simply written across the letter these words, not sufficiently redemptive. And he threw away the letter. It could have just as easily been not sufficiently gentle. Because the whole point of gentleness is to help move each other toward being redemptive, experiencing God in our lives. And gentleness is the way to do that. And it's a struggle for us. We wrestle to be gentle. And I'm convinced one of the most profound ways of developing gentleness in us as the Spirit works in our lives so that gentleness comes out of us is prayer. One of the Desert Fathers said, the seed of gentleness is prayer. The seed of gentleness is prayer. And what is it about prayer and gentleness that connects? It's because when you spend time praying for someone, asking God to bless them, it's pretty hard to be so aggressive toward them. And the other aspect is that when we begin, when we begin to pray, it begins to change us. I remember reading years ago, Richard Foster, simple words, to pray is to change. And that change is not nearly so much about the people or the circumstances about which we're praying. It's about we who are praying. It's about coming to God and letting him change us, work in us, let his spirit transform us. And that's why Pete Gregg can say to pray 
is to pick up the mannerisms of God. I mean, that's really what we're doing. We're spending time in God's presence so that we can pick up on the mannerisms of God. That's why we keep doing the prayer vigils. So that we will somehow begin to pick up the mannerisms of God and the spirit in us so that it comes out of us. Because when we boil it down, we learn gentleness from God who is gentle. That may seem weird to us because so often we think of God as anything but gentle. We read some of the Old Testament stories and God seems, he seems vengeful. But the reality is we're seeing God's justice. And I think all of us would agree that justice is important. What's amazing is not the few times when God appears vengeance appears to exude vengeance on people, the real amazing part is how often he doesn't. And so Adam and Eve in the garden sin against God, reject God, and that night when he comes to meet with them as he does every day, they're not there and he cries out, where are you? There are some people who think God says, where are you? I don't think so. I think it's more like a parent Looking for a child. Hey, where are you? I miss you. How come you're not here? In this passage from 1 Kings we read, Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal, 850 of them, in this awesome spiritual experience. And, and as soon as he does, Jezebel, queen, puts a, puts a contract out on his head. And he runs for his life and ends up in a cave. And he's whining to God and... He's exhausted spiritually, emotionally, physically. And God says, I'm going to pass by, so get ready. And so Elijah steps out and says, okay, God, where are you? And the wind begins to shake the trees, but God is not in the wind. And an earthquake shakes the foundations, but God is not in the earthquake. And a fire is comes down around Elijah, but God is not in the fire. And then Elijah hears a still, small, gentle whisper. And there is God. And probably the most profound verse about this is in 2 Samuel 22, David, nearing the end of his life, says to God, your gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness has made me great. All of the things David has done, good, bad, ugly, all of the things that David deserves, he really should not have been treated in a spirit of gentleness. But God is gentle with him. And we celebrate that because God is gentle with us. That's really what we see in the image of Jesus. Everything about Jesus' existence on this earth is wrapped up in gentleness. He's born as a, as a little infant, gentle. He submits himself as a child to his earthly parents. He surrenders himself to John the Baptist for baptism, even though it should be the other way around. And ultimately... He surrenders in gentleness to to 
Pilate and Caiaphas, the high priest, and the cross and death. When John, in his revelation, looks for Jesus in heaven, he's looking for a lion, and he sees a lamb. And if God's plan for redeeming the world is the gentleness, gentle surrender of the cross, what would make us think that he would have any different strategy for us influencing the world. Our hesitancy to accept that strategy is in essence saying, well, that worked for Jesus 2,000 years ago, and that's great, and I'm so happy that it did. But we live in a different world. That kind of stuff doesn't work now. You've got to assert yourself. You've got to be strong. You've got to be powerful. You, you, have to, you have to go after people, or they will crush you. And that may well be true. But the plan of God, the strategy of God, is gentleness. And it doesn't mean that we don't stand up for truth. It doesn't mean that we don't have an inner strength. Because quite frankly, being gentle takes every ounce of courage and strength that we could possibly muster. You think about people like St. Francis or Mother Teresa... We would call them gentle, but we would certainly not say they didn't have courage. Some of the most courageous people we would ever meet. But dealt with people, handled people, handled life with a spirit of gentleness. And that's why we remember them. For years, I have been amazed at the story of Telemachus, fourth century monk that lived in the East and spent his days in prayer and the study of Scripture. Every day, he would come into the presence of God to pray and to read the Scripture. And one day in prayer, he thought he heard God saying to him, Go to Rome. Go to Rome? Why would I go to Rome? But he kept hearing this this nudging from God, go to Rome, go to Rome, go to Rome. Finally, he said, okay. And he made the long journey to Rome. And when he got there, he came into the city and, and and there was a throng of people that sort of swept him up and he followed them along until they came to the great Colosseum. And he went into the Colosseum with this crowd anticipating what might be going on and having no idea And he watched as two men, gladiators, dressed in their armor and swords, came out into the arena and began to fight one another. And all of a sudden he realized these two men were going to fight to the death. And his heart was broken for what he was seeing. And he began to yell and cry out, for the sake of Christ, forbear, stop. Of course, the crowd was in a frenzy. No one was listening to him. So he ran down the steps and he jumped over the wall down into the floor of the arena. And he ran to these gladiators, waving his arms and crying out, in the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ, stop, stop. At first, the crowd thought he was part of the show and they just began to laugh and 
And when they realized that it wasn't, they turned ugly. And there was this little monk standing next to these huge gladiators, pulling on their robes, trying to get them to stop, saying, in the name of Christ, stop. And finally, one of them had had enough and he turned to him and he plunged his sword into this little monk. And he fell to the sand. And in his last breaths, said, in the name of Christ, stop. this hush that fell over the stadium. And up in the far reaches, a man got up out of his seat and made his way to the exit. And a couple more people followed him. And a few more people followed them. And a few more people followed them until in a matter of not that long, The entire stadium was empty of people. And that was the very last time that gladiators fought to the death in the Roman Colosseum. It's hard to say what price we will pay to be gentle. It's hard to know how the Spirit will lead us. But it is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's the way of God. It's the way of Christ. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, In this moment of silence, let us hear you speaking to us. Heavenly Father, help our hearts to be open to the work of your Spirit that the fruit of gentleness will be seen in us and heard in us and experienced through us. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We want to again give you opportunity to respond to whatever God may be saying to you. And there are cards in the pews. You may need to look at a pew ahead of you or behind you as they've been used and distributed this morning. But there should be enough.
And we want you to take we want you to take this card and sometime today write down whatever God may be saying to you about his call to gentleness and the spirit's fruit of gentleness in your life. And let's commit together again this week to spend 5 minutes every day praying for God to to work in us and let the spirit work in us to produce gentleness. And if you'd like to have someone pray with you, talk with you this morning, the elders are downstairs after the service and we'll be happy to do that with you.